Welcome back to the Weekly Trusted Visions podcast. Again, we have, we're two straight weeks in a row that we have the entire team together. So thank you for, for everybody being part of this. Hope everybody's having a great week. As we continue down this month's monthly topic of a channel breakdown of, of breaking down each channel within the financial services space, we're going into one that I'm sure David and Deb, you love. Sean and I, we, we just kind of shake our head like, this is your arena, is the bank and financial institutions channel. And, and David, I'll, I'll never forget, we were working at a firm together and I was recruiting an advisor that was part of a bank. So I pulled you in because you were pretty much the, the lead of, of the financial institutions division. And you started talking about contracts and FI agreements and terminology. And I've recruited for 21 years of my, my life. And that stuff was way over my head and just way too technical. So um, I'll speak to a light level on all this, but I'm going to rely on you and Deb to uh, talk through this. So let's jump right in. And this week, we're going to talk about that bank and financial institution. And and similar to what we did last week of breaking down the advantages and disadvantages, we're going to do the same thing, um, just a little bit in a different order. Um, and we're, we're going to lean heavily on you throughout this podcast, David, because you lived and breathed this world and, and probably can guide and direct it and do the podcast yourself. But everybody likes seeing our pretty face, too. Um, so, Sean, let's talk about, again, similar to last week, the advantages to an advisor of being part of a bank or a financial institution. Sure, sure. Some of the um, advantages that really stick out to me is, is number one is the uh, credibility and trust aspect. Uh, typically, most of these bank institutions have a solid name and reputi- uh, reputation in the community. Um, clients are going to feel safer investing, you know, as, uh, because of the confidence they have in, in the particular bank institution. I believe these banks do a, a, a good job, just from my experience, uh, of establishing brand recognition in the community um, through community service and sponsorship opportunities. I, I know one, when I, my, my son was young and playing um, just little league baseball, there was a local bank that grabbed my attention because they jumped to every sponsorship opportunity we had. And uh, that prompted me to investigate and, and I built trust in this um, you know, institution just from that experience alone. So I do think that that credibility and trust is, is definitely a benefit. Um, listen, the, the obvious benefit here is the referral streams um, for an advisor, uh, you know, having the ability to network internally, um, having direct access to clients uh, makes the process of building a book of business much more streamlined. Um, benefits, you know, when we talk about, you know, being an advisor in a lot of channels, you don't necessarily have those benefits. Uh, but with a bank platform, you typically have access to a 401k. Um, you have access to health insurance. I know in, in some cases for an advisor to have health insurance, sometimes that secures the deal. Um, also, uh, just you know, being in a team environment, you know, having that camaraderie, um, having that uh, brain power, so to speak, uh, you know, within the, within the branch, you know, I think is also another uh, huge advantage uh, of being a bank advisor. And so one question for you, David, because again, you, you've been in this space and anything you want to add about the advantages. But one question I have for you, when, when Sean talks about credibility, we all know the bank that I'm speaking of. We won't mention names. But when on the flip side of that, when a bank goes through the turmoil of 
scams or, or whatever happened. Uh, I don't want to go into specifics. How does that impact a financial advisor when they're part of that bank? It can be a huge impact because vice versa, when you're looking at being a, an advisor with an institution, one of the things they look at as far as their any kind of an investment program and any kind of an advisor they associate with, the bank is really concerned about credibility and not having any media, whether negative media when it comes to an advisor, it's under investigation, anything that goes along with it. They don't want that. Uh, they, they definitely do not want their name just as much as the financial institution, a banker or penny does not want their name uh, associated with negative, never to, negative things to go with uh, investing, you name it, anything that's out there is associated with their individual program. It's also can be very detrimental for a financial advisor. If you're inside of an institution or dedicated to an institution that's having a lot of issues themselves, if they're having credibility issues and they're having their name in the media when it comes to negativity and things like that, that can inherently affect your book of business, uh, not only for the recruiting side of it, retaining clients and being able to successfully uh, build a book of business. It could be detrimental, almost to the point if your broker dealer decided to shut their doors. It could, it could be that effective. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we run into when you, when you look at the credibility side. It's a big plus, but in some cases, as you've seen in the last few years, there's been a huge, uh, the, the negativity that goes around with bad publicity on that side could be a, a very big disadvantage mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to what you can do. Uh, and to kind of add to what Sean talked about as far as some of the advantages, uh, kind of piggybacking on our, uh, our uh, podcast from last week on wirehouses, when you're looking at trying to make a move uh, and you're trying to get into the independent space and things like that. I've always looked at the, the financial institution world working with uh, banks or credit unions. It gives you the availability of not only the different models at the uh -huh. institutional level, but it's kind of like going independent with a life preserver. You get those, you get the benefit of kind of being an independent advisor in a lot of cases, depending on how you affiliate, uh, but it gives you the availability of becoming that bridge uh -huh. to the uh, independent world, whether you're going through a different model at the broker dealer, at going from a wirehouse to an independent, or if you're going from a wirehouse to a financial institution, or you're going from a captive insurance firm to a financial institution, a lot of the times you're going to get the availability of being a true financial advisor, focusing all your efforts on that, but also being able to have a little bit of a life preserver, not have to worry about uh, overall expenses and things that go along with that. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Appreciate that, David. So now let's yeah. flip it to, to you, Deb, and, and talk about, again, similar to last week, uh, some of the disadvantages of being part of a bank or financial institution. And again, you spent some time on that channel um, in your throughout your career. So would love to hear from you of some of those disadvantages from, from your perspective. Well, I think a lot of the disadvantages will probably fall in line with what we talked about from the wirehouse space last week, right, on our podcast. And, and that has to do with the number one thing would be, you know, the payout, right, is, is typically going to be lower in the bank channel, depending upon, again, there's, there's different platforms, different ways to affiliate, which I know David will probably, is going to cover later. But if you're if you're a true employee of the bank, right, you're going to definitely feel that that lower payout. 
um, versus maybe if you work more on the independent contractor side and, and rent space from the bank, you might have a little bit higher one. Um, but it's still not going to be as high, right, as if you were fully independent. So you've got that that payout, which is is an in, is a disadvantage a disadvantage as you're growing and building your book of business, and the more experience you get in the industry, um, and 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 the fact that you you know you don't own your book of business, right? I mean, that's always a key thing that advisors go back to when they get to that certain level of wanting to own their business. And while, you know, Sean did a great job of the advantages, right, of being with a bank and being able to grow and build your book of business through the referrals. And, you know, you've got kind of that prestige, if you will. And there's a lot of positives that go along with that. At the end of the day, what are you giving up? Giving up the fact that you own your business for the most part in these channels and and payout, right? You're going to you're not getting as much as as you would be if you were out on your own. And again, just depending upon the the affiliation models, and and again, that to me is kind of the the big things. And I know David again, David will cover a lot of that in in the different models as he's you know going forward. And but that's the main thing, David. You can jump in if you think. Other than that, those are kind of the big things that are the disadvantages. You bet, and I, that's perfect, Deb. And the only other disadvantage is sometimes you find product restrictions. You don't see it as much anymore. But most mm -hmm. of the, you know, you're looking at alternatives and things like that. And the REIT business has changed over the years. So you will find situations when working with an institution, there may be some limitations, not what it used to be in the past, uh, but there are some limitations on when it comes to some products that you can provide. So it's, uh, and, you know, being able to adhere to a team. Uh, some people, I, some people will look at it as a disadvantage. Um when you're looking, you're taking somebody from a wirehouse that wants to be that wirehouse guy, wants to be involved with the stock market, wants to be that stock 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 market guy. It may not be a good fit for a financial institution because you what you've got to look at is the attitude and aptitude of that individual advisor, and will they flourish in an environment like that where you're building partnerships and building relationships with the relationship managers and client people and things like that. You're part of a team, even though your whole job is consisting of working 100% of your time on investments, you still got to be involved and understand what's going on in the financial institution side of it when they're looking at, you know, what their goals are. And a lot of their goals are, you know, core deposits, keeping assets at the institution and things like that. And even in very successful programs, the revenue that's generated on the financial, uh, on the investment side of the, the, the programs inside of there, still dwarf in the, the profitability that they have in most cases when it comes to mm -hmm. uh, what the what their core business is and that's banking lending and things like that the and one of the other things that comes along with it is is understanding what core deposits mean to that institution and some of the other advantages that we didn't really talk about either and i kind of forgot to mention that when sean was talking about some of the advantages is it allows them to be competitive in their landscape. You look at a lot of these small institutions that you're cutting checks to other, you know, wirehouses and broker dealers for people moving assets out of their institution. You would rather those assets stay, but if they can't stay, they can at least work with a financial advisor that's connected to their institution and they're able to get some additional revenue off of that versus just lose those deposits. They can be involved in, in really what they call customer retention. And that's that's a big part of one of the advantages that go along with it is the retention for the clients is incredible for them. Mm -hmm. When you look at them having a check in their savings accounts, 
you know, they're 90% likely they could change institutions in a heartbeat if that's the only relationship they have. But once you add one investment program uh, to one of your you know, bank or credit union clients or members, mm-hmm. that's going to take your, your customer retention and, and get it in a 30% range of them not leaving that institution because now they're a little bit more even stickier because working with the investment program. So gives them some advantages and some disadvantages kind of thrown in there at the same time. Hey, David, to that point, when we speak about some of the disadvantages, I know you can affiliate, as Deb mentioned, several different ways within a bank or financial institution. And in most cases, if an advisor joins a bank or financial institution, whatever practice or book that they bring, they can take with them. But as they build that up, that that book, my, my assumption is, and again, I, I haven't spent a lot of time in this space. Um, that's why we're such a great diversified team. But as they build that book up, my assumption is most of those clients that that financial advisor wor- are wor- is working with, if not all of them, are bank clients as well. So they bank at Wells Fargo or Bank of America. And so mm-hmm. what, what's your opinion of disadvantage or advantage of if that advisor ever wants to leave, my, again, my assumption is those clients typically aren't going because that would mean they'd have to change banks for you know their banking as well as their wealth management. Is that fair statement there or what, what are your thoughts? Well, it's a little bit different and, and it's really changed over the years. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that kind of leads into the next conversation when it talks to, you know, non-solicit, non-compete and who owns the clients and the complexity that goes along with that. But kind of before I step into that, I'll kind of talk high level about really the change in the financial institution arena. When you're looking at banks and credit unions, you know, a lot of people that just from lack of just not understanding the business and it's changed a lot, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty much what they called the dedicated programs. You were hired as a full-time financial advisor. You worked inside of the program. You adhere to the rules, guidelines. They owned all the clients. You were strictly an employee, just focusing on the investment side of the world. Everything changed when there was consolidation, not only with broker-dealers, but there's been huge consolidation in the bank and credit union space uh, for a number of years. And the affiliation models have changed. It has become uh, not only complex, but also a lot more flexible when it comes to the independent, uh, any kind of investment advisor that wants to affiliate with an institution. So when you look at that, you know, you've got your, what what they call the dedicated model, which is which you are employee uh, of that institution. So you get the advantages of having, um, in most cases, health insurance, 401k, you get all the benefits of an employee of that institution. You work full time on the investment side of the world. And then in, in, in one of the disadvantages is your payouts a little bit lower. You may be 50, 60%, and there may be a, a grid that you work on. The more you do, the more you get paid on that side of it. And then uh, uh, in some cases on that side of it, 100% of those clients are the, the, the financial institution, especially in a larger program. If they've got a number of advisors, that means they can fundamentally move those clients to other financial advisors and you run into the same type of situation you have with a, uh, with a, a wirehouse of, of when it comes to ownership. Then a very popular model, and I'll talk a little bit more about the non-solicit after I get to this next model. And one of the other big models that's become extremely popular, especially in the last 10, 15 years with all the consolidation is what they call the independent model where you're an independent advisor. You can be an independent advisor working for any institution that has uh, some kind of an agreement they can put into play, a networking agreement with that 
that financial institution, you can be an independent advisor, have your own placard. You can be an independent advisor and you live in a small community mm-hmm. and you want to work with a bank and or credit union locally that doesn't have an investment program. Uh, for them, it's a tremendous cost savings because hiring a full-time employee, there's a lot of overhead costs mm-hmm. along with that partnering with an independent advisor locally for them to come in maybe once, twice, three times a week to work with clients, to set appointments, things like that, and offer a service that gives them customer retention that they wouldn't have by not offering and the investment suite of products. It gives them that huge competitive edge and it's low cost, cost them nothing to put those agreements in place and work with that individual advisor. And a lot of times that advisor can uh, piggyback on their marketing department to help them market to not only their members and their clients inside that institution to basically get more clients for the advisor. And then in that particular situation, there's usually a revenue share. And in most cases, it's usually 80-20. 80% goes to the advisor, which is still a huge lion share, and 20% goes to the institution. For them, they're getting non-interest income, so they're getting revenue to their bottom line, and really there's no overhead cost for them. And as far as uh, having a relationship with the institution, it's huge. They're able to uh, offer this very valuable service to their clients and their members. And all they do do is get uh, paid on the revenue stream that goes along with that particular institution. So that's that's been very popular. And a lot of people don't even realize that that option even exists. But with all that flexibility and with a lot of those affiliation uh, opportunities you have with those institutions, you hit the nail on the head, Jeremy, when you're talking about who owns the clients? That is the biggest key and the biggest complexity that goes along with working with a financial institution, whether it's a bank or it's a credit union. You've got your non-solicit, non-compete. But the biggest advantage is you need to work with uh, somebody that's a subject matter expert in the financial institution arena and or a, a third-party recruiting firm like ours with like Deb or myself that have tremendous amount of background in that side of the business because you can control that. You can actually be an independent advisor and decide, hey, I want to become an employee with this institution or coming from a wirehouse. You can negotiate uh, what's going to happen with those that books of business and those clients. They have the flexibility of saying, hey, I want to come over as an employee. Things have changed. I want to be able to bring my practice and I want to be able to bring it to the institution. And I've got a you know, thousand clients that I currently work with. You can put an agreement in place where those clients will be yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, now and will continue to be yours if you decide to separate later. So I always say you have to have what we call a prenup in our business. <laughs> Everybody's always excited and uh, about a new marriage and a new relationship, just like you would if you were partnering up with a financial institution. You see all the positives, but you got to have a plan in place if things go sideways and you decide to part ways. So right. I say not only you've got to have an agreement in place on who owns the clients, your current existing clients, clients going forward, Are they owned by the institution? And do they have another advisor that would be able to service those clients? A lot of institutions, if they have an independent agreement, have they have nobody else that would be able to service those clients if they're gone. They still have to have a securities license to serve them. So you run into some complications on that side. And a bigger part is put having that contract in place. And it can be you work with a lawyer, it can be a handwritten contract, you put anything in, you gotta have some kind of an agreement in place. And then also rights of first refusal, because even Uh if if you're in a situation where you decide to leave, you would still have the opportunity to be the first one to basically have an independent third party come in, 
evaluate what that book's value is and be able to purchase that book of business from that institution if they want to get out of the business. But as an advisor, you don't lose those clients. It gives you the availability to negotiate that on the front end and be able to use an independent 30 party to evaluate it so you're not competing back and forth and vice versa for the institution. Who's to say, and we've done this a lot for a lot of advisors that have got closer to the retirement age and say, hey, I want to bring my book of business in. I want to be able to continue to work it, bring in new clients. But they put together an agreement on the back end and saying this institution is actually going to end up buying my book of business from me, finding yeah. that new advisor that we can bring in to train mm-hmm. and go from there and can either pay it in a lump sum or over a longer period of time, just like any other consolidation of business. So it's been huge on that side, being able to have that partnership in play where you as an advisor, not only if you decide to make a move or if you want to retire or you just say, hey, I want to start over. You, you've got a way where you've got you've got an institution with an enormous amount of resources that can basically compensate you for that business that you've already been working with for the last you know, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of opportunity out there. And I, I didn't even cover it all. That's just that that's just top echelon. Yeah, it's similar to last week. I mean, we could, you know, for each one of these topics, trying to speak of it at a high level. I mean, if we really dug in deep, and I know this is you and Deb's passion, um, we could we could spend hours upon hours upon, especially this one, because as you mentioned, networking agreements. And we apologize, David, for you having to take the lion's share of this week's. Um, but like I said, having worked with you in the past, when you started talking about that networking agreement, and I don't mm-hmm. even remember how many pages that thing was, but you started talking in, in the you know fifty to hundred pages. I was like, yeah, that that that's all you. <laughs> um, so, any questions that anybody has, as David mentioned, when you're looking at this channel. I'm not saying that other channels, it's not just as vital, but it's it's vital, especially when you're looking at this channel, to work with subject matter experts or firms like Trusted Visions, because there's so many nuances and, and things to navigate through that, again, in my 21 years, I don't even know all of them. And that's why I love the diversity of our team. But I would say, and I'm sure you guys would agree, if you're looking at this channel or interested in this channel, have a conversation with, with a firm like ours. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to email at info at trustedvisions.com. I'll be the first to admit, I will hand that off to David or Deb and not even try to go down that path. Um, but if you have questions or if you'd like to schedule a consultation, go to our website at trustedvisions.com. Right on the front page, there's a schedule a consultation that will schedule directly with David or Deb. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's podcast of the Bank and Financial Institution channel. Next week, we will go into the next segment, which is the independent channel. If you have any questions, feel free to comment on our LinkedIn page. Hope everybody has a great week.